Hey everyone, it's Cam Hurt, host of the Best Show Ever podcast, and we have got a second season coming out very soon that I am very excited about. We've got some very cool special guests, including musical acts that we all love, like Karina Reichman, Daniel Donato, Jake Brownstein from Eggy, Rick and Peter from Goose, and many more. Tune in for new episodes dropping on Osiris Media March 5th on the Best Show Ever podcast. Welcome to Wheels Off, a show about the messy reality of the creative life. I'm Rhett Miller. That's when it got wheels off. We started up and we ain't gonna stop. Oh, I sound like you, like it or not. That's when it got wheels off. You wake up in a cabin on top of a mountain. It's cold outside and you see snow on the ground. You decide to move over the mountain towards the west, where you hope it will be warmer. You travel all day. At the peak of the mountain, you almost slide off. Fortunately for you, you roll well. An 18, and you nimbly cross the treacherous path leading over the peak of the mountain. You make your way all the way down. When you get to the bottom, you find civilization of sorts. There is a building. It looks like an office building, in fact. Inside of this building, there are guards. You confront these guards. They ask you for your identity. Before you can answer, you realize that Behind these guards floats a giant eyeball, and from this eyeball extrude stalks. At the end of each is a small eyeball. On some of these stalks, at the base, there are rings. Again, you roll well, and you realize that this is not just any floating eyeball. This is a beholder. And this is not just any beholder, this is Xanathar, a beholder crime lord, famous throughout Waterdeep. You should be terrified, but in reality, you're not, because you know that this is an alternate reality. This is Dungeons and Dragons. It's a game that we play in our minds. We use words to tell stories, and these stories become a choose-your-own-adventure of sorts. The dungeon master is in control of the situation, but he doesn't just make it up usually off the top of his head, unless he is a really brilliant dungeon master. My guest on this episode of Wheels Off is just that. In fact, he might be the greatest dungeon master uh, in the world. His name is Chris Perkins, Christopher Perkins. He is the lead of a team of designers and developers and editors at Dungeons & Dragons. We met in a conference room at the Wizards of the Coast office just outside of Seattle, Washington at the end of January. I am a D&D fan and have been since I was a little kid. He is my hero. I was starstruck and he was kind and generous and forthcoming and funny, and intelligent, and I could have talked to him all day long. 
I think that this conversation we had will appeal not just to nerds, not just to D&D gamers. It's a conversation about creativity, and more than that, it's a conversation about looking at one's self to find what makes us excited and what makes us happy, and then following that like a North Star until you have built your dream life. And Christopher Perkins has done just that. He designed his own job at Wizards of the Coast, and he is a badass. I was so happy to get to have this conversation with him, and I hope you enjoy it. I hope you survive your encounter with Xanathar. Welcome to Wheels Off, my guest, Christopher Perkins. Hello. Hello. The preeminent dungeon master in the world, from my uh, research. I've, I've been doing it a long time, and I do have a lot of experience, for sure. And we are here today in the headquarters of Wizards of the Coast, which makes Dungeons & Dragons, which is your baby, right? You're in charge of all this. Not in charge of all of this, no. What I'm in charge of as the principal narrative designer is kind of the story direction okay. for D&D. So my focus uh, on D&D is really telling stories. Yeah. So we have other folks who I work with closely who are kind of overseeing the rules and the system design and the marketing yeah. and all of that. But my focus really is on um, writing adventures and helping our partners tie their content, their stories, into what we're doing. So we're kind of weaving a greater narrative. Yeah. Yeah. So specifically the creative part of it, which yeah. is great for our purposes. It's a, it, this is a job description that I actually wrote for myself. <laughs> <laughs> At one point, I guess I've been here long enough that they said, what do you want to do in the company? And I said, I'll sit down and tell you. And I just wrote out what I, what I wanted my job to be, and that's what it became. How ideal. Yeah, right. Yeah. It's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so what creative project are you working on at the moment, and how does it light you up? So at the moment, I'm working on about five, maybe six different creative projects. Um, and I guess like almost like a serialized television series or a film series, they're all in different stages. Uh -huh. So one is just kicking off. And we're, we're kind of just brainstorming ideas of what it could be, which is creatively invigorating because there are no boundaries with Dungeons & Dragons, really. The only limit is your imagination. Um, but we're, we're, we're starting to kind of build the sandbox that we're going to play in for this product for the next few months. Then there's another product that has already been concepted, uh, and it's, it's a book, we know what's going to go in it, but now I'm lining up some freelancers and people who are going to be working with me on the project, getting them up to speed, getting them excited about the project, and just starting the, starting the actual writing work. And then there's a third project, which is already in the writing process, and I'm starting to see first drafts come in, and I'm reading through those and commenting on those and offering feedback and making tweaks and refining that. And then there's another project that is just... I, I finished writing it over the break, the Christmas break, um, and we just kicked it to the playtesters 
to see, you know, get them to start to pull it apart, and to the copy editor. And so I'm in meetings with the copy editor to talk about what were the what were the goals of this project? Why did I do the things that I did? What are some of the things that they need to watch out for as they're editing the manuscript? Um, and then there's another project which is it has been edited, it has been play tested, we've implemented changes, and now we're basically putting it into its final form. The artwork is starting to come in, so we're approving what the the art sketches and the art finals, and it's starting to fall into place as a real book. So all these projects are happening separately, but they're all creatively um, immersive things. So much of my day is basically just spent flipping a switch in my brain, going from one story to another all day long and trying to trying to uh, not remember what's exciting me about the project, but just trying to keep them separate in yeah. my mind. So they don't become all commingled because one of the things that keeps me energized is every book we do, we don't put out so many books anymore that we feel like we're just filling shelves. We, we take our time with our books. We, we labor over them. Uh, they are our babies and we want to make sure everyone goes out and it gets used and played and, and, and people have a common experience of, of, of going through these products and and using them in their games, and finding new ways to make them user-friendly and more accessible and more reflective of our diverse community. All of these things are engaging me, engaging my brain constantly. So it's, it's hyper... It, it, my, my brain feels like it's going a million miles an hour, but at the same time, I'm just... Uh, I never get bored, you know? Uh, every every day there's a new a new challenge and if if one product is sort of off and running I don't need to think about it for a while there's just another one waiting for me waiting for the, the attention that it deserves and so that my creative engagement I, I don't have to work hard to find <laughs> enjoyment in what I do it's it's sitting right in front of me it, it's like having all these beautiful children um, uh, to uh, to entertain me at different stages of their yeah. life and development. Exactly. Yeah. I, w- I listen to you talk about this, and I wonder w- how much your job is like that of a maybe a showrunner for a network show or a, you know some TV it, show or something. It it can be at various stages of the product mm-hmm. because if I am overseeing a product and I oversee most of the products I work on, um, it is very much like a showrunner. But then there are products in which I am myself fully immersed as a creative yeah where i'm doing the writing i'm doing the editing um and and that's different that's that's a that's a deeper level of concentration on my part it requires sometimes me getting out of the building Mm -hmm. and going somewhere where i can do this without meetings and other things to distract me i kind of have to change my rhythm when i'm in that mode Funny, you said you just put one to bed over the the holiday. Yeah. So you were working away from the office. Yes. Most of, most of my when it comes to writing and actual creative stuff, most of that gets done outside of regular hours or outside of the regular environment because I'm in a I'm in a building surrounded by um, hopelessly creative people. <laughs> 
who uh, I was wondering what you were going to call them. Yeah, uh, <laughs> and uh, uh, kindred spirits. Yes, but but there's all sorts of meetings and interfacing t- uh, and and moving pieces and different projects and making sure that a project somebody else is working on is intersecting with mine. And you know, so there's all kinds of crazy crap that goes on. And because of that, your day gets chewed up. Sure. Into a lot of these kind of half-hour periods of productivity and then meetings interspersed among them. It's hard to be a writer in that environment and to maintain your concentration on something. Um, So I have to break away and basically say, I'm going to, I'm going to spend the next eight hours in a den somewhere where there's nobody else around so I can get a groove because I know some people who can write very quickly. They can just sort of bang things out, put on their headphones or whatever, mm-hmm. sit in a Starbucks and bang stuff out. I'm not that person. Yeah. I am the I am the slow, laborious writer who kind of aches over a sentence at a time, writes the sentence and then decides that's not the best sentence and rewrites the sentence and so my paragraphs come together slowly, the text comes together slowly. And I need time to ramp up to get into that headspace and then to sort of ramp down. Sure. I can't do that if people are swinging by my desk and saying, tell me, tell me how, what the, what's the difference between, you know, this demon and that demon? Or, <laughs> or is, is there something we should be using here in this story that exists in D&D already? Or should we be creating something completely new? Or worse, when I showed up today, you were in a marketing meeting. Yeah, you got me out of a marketing meeting, for which thank you. Thank you. It's, it's, <laughs> You're it's, it's always nice. Uh, and then there, are, uh, uh, being in the position, the creative position, uh, working on Dungeons and Dragons means that uh, we have digital partners who have questions about things. We have events that we put on, um, whether it's conventions or. Uh, like we do a big event every year called D&D Live where we put on a huge show and we bring members of the community in and cosplayers and we build sets and we run games and all that. Those events have planning that is months in advance, so we're dealing with that at the same time. There are so many different kinds of creative projects. We can't even like schedule them all. It's insane. Um, but... At some point, somebody has to sit down and like write a book, and yeah, often that's me, and that just takes time. You can't fast track that. You can't. It's like saying, you know, can you give birth to a child in three months? No, <laughs> that's a process that takes a specific amount of time, and that's how much you have to invest. And and for me, uh, writing is that. It's 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 a very time consuming and very private thing. Yeah, um, different from the chaos at work. Um, out of curiosity, personally, how how much of Waterdeep Dragon Heist was was you? Oh, uh, so that adventure, um, I worked. The writing of that mm-hmm. was me and two freelancers. I'd say all told, about seventy five percent was me and twenty five percent was That's freelancers. I'm just so in the middle of it right now. Yeah, and it's it's really great. It's yeah, so well and written. It, it, that's not necessarily true of all the adventures that we do. Mm-hmm. Um, one of our earlier adventures in Fifth Edition, Curse of Strahd, was uh, basically one hundred percent me. Wow. Uh, um, Storm King's Thunder was one hundred percent me. But things like Tomb of Annihilation was probably closer to about seventy five. Yeah. The one I just wrapped up over the break. Um, uh, uh, was about seventy five percent me. That's a lot of creativity. Uh, it is, and but it, it 
when I'm doing it, it's, I wouldn't say it's easy, but I become so involved in it. Um, and, 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 and it's so real for me that it doesn't feel like a burden. It feels like a privilege. Yeah. It feels like I'm, when I'm working on it, I'm thinking, how is this, how are the DMs going to interact with this? And how excited are the players going to be when they encounter this or they experience this? I, I, as a person who's DM'd all my life and as a person who's played D&D since I was 10, I have no trouble uh, putting myself in the position of thinking, you know, just what a thrill it would be to experience this as a player or a DM. Um, and I try to approach my adventure writing from that angle. It's like, this is something people are actually going to use. A DM is going to pick up this adventure and decide to spend the next 6 to 12 months running their campaign based on it. So it's got to be good. It's got to be fun. And it's got to have just a lot of cool things for them to hold on to and say, yeah, this is why I want to run this adventure. You may have noticed with a lot of the adventures like Waterdeep Dragon Heist is they're just like a play box. They're mm-hmm. like a toy box full of toys. And DMs don't necessarily run them the way that they're written. A lot of DMs will use them as springboards and then kind of customize it for their own groups. Uh, that's kind of what I'm thinking when I'm writing too is I don't expect anybody to necessarily write this the way I wrote or to run this the way I wrote it. Yeah. But they're going to read it and they're going to feel like they can take it and run with it. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny. So you bring up, I'm imagining, 10-year-old Chris Perkins mm-hmm. growing up playing D&D. Yeah. Was there a moment where you knew your whole life would be tied up in this game? Yes. Was there an epiphany moment? There was. Um, so my first contact with D&D when I was 10 was like first edition Monster Manual. Mm-hmm. And I was just entranced by the art, the sort yeah. of... Uh, and. And, and the monsters, and I didn't really understand the game that well, so I was just sort of exploring it for the first time and kind of realizing my interest in mythology and all that kind of thing. I would say when I was 13, I had the revelation that I was going to, my destiny was going to be to work on Dungeons and & Dragons. And I even told, uh, I grew up in Canada, and I had a, a neighbor who played with me. I was the DM. He ran all the characters. And... <laughs> I remember we were playing basketball in his uh, front driveway, and I, to- I, I had an epiphany in that moment. I don't know why it happened then. I, we were talking about, I guess, Dungeons and Dragons, because it's all we ever talked about. Um, and I just had the epiphany that I was going to somehow, somehow, that the Canadian boy was going to find himself a job working on Dungeons and Dragons. Um, no concept how to get there. It wasn't until I was about 16 when I realized there was a way I could do it. And that was through the magazines. I don't know if you remember, but um, of course, uh, the D&D magazines Dungeon and mm-hmm. Dragon mm-hmm. drove a lot of the uh, fan-created content back in the day. And that was, that was my, my, my way in. I started to pitch ideas to the magazines. And I'm sure like everybody else who, who started off that way... Much of what you sent was rejected. It was garbage. And I look back at some of my early submissions, and it's like, I can't believe I submitted that crap. <laughs> <laughs> but it's a numbers game. You had to write yes. that to get to the good... Exactly. So you ju- I just, But I was tenacious, and I was determined, so I just kept pitching articles and pitching articles and pitching articles. And eventually, maybe out of pity, or maybe it was actually a good idea, the editors said, okay, kid, send us the full article. We like your pitch. Send us the article. And... Uh, um, Eventually, they found something that they liked, 
And that was enough for me. After rejection, after rejection, after rejection, just the one success was enough for me to convince myself that I had what it takes to maybe carry this onto a career. Now, my parents probably thought differently, like, oh my God, what's this kid doing? You know, like, there's no future here for this. But after I got my first one published, they changed their tune, and then they're like, okay, well, he can do it. Well, so I wonder about that, because it sounds so easy. I mean, you knew what you wanted to do, you were able to follow it through, the path was pretty clear, but as you were doing it, did you run up against things where people, A, made you feel stupid, because, oh, why why would you want to play a game for your whole life, or did you have family or loved ones, or did you have like internal obstacles where you're like, what am I doing, or did it always seem clear? I loved the game so much Mm -hmm. that... And the stuff I was pitching was stuff I was kind of creating anyway for my home D&D game. So I didn't feel like I was wasting my time. Even if the editor said, ah, that idea sucks, we're not going to publish it. And they never actually put it like that. They were always very nice. They said, this isn't exactly what we're looking for. Thank you. <laughs> uh, you get enough of those, you start to read between the lines. Yeah. But um, So I felt like I was, not waste- I was never wasting my time. Because even if they didn't like it, I was going to put it in my home campaign or find some other way to use it. Or I was just enjoying the creative exploration of creating new stuff yeah. tied to D&D. Uh, and so I would have done it even if there was no dollar signs or, or you know job future attached to it. Um, I never felt like I was... Like anybody was coming at me and saying, you're dumb, or you don't know what you're doing. It was always very positive for me. And even when the editors were sort of curt, I was looking, I was deconstructing their letters to try to figure out what they wanted. So it became a sort of game. Okay, they didn't like that idea. So I'm going to try this other idea. And then I'm going to start to do things like, I'm going to deconstruct what they've published in the last two years and see if I can see any holes, like things that they haven't done yet and try to, try to anticipate their needs. So it became this sort of meta game that I was playing yeah. with the editors to try to figure out what they wanted before they needed it. And then, uh, and I, my parents were always um, happy to let me do my own thing. Uh-huh. You know, uh, I would clack away on my typewriter because we used those back then. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they never said, stop that racket, stop that noise. They just let me do my thing and I'd run off and shove a bunch of papers in an envelope and uh, uh, spend all my allowance on buying more D&D books and magazines so I could see what it is that they wanted, these editors. But then I hit upon the idea when I was about, oh gosh, in my early 20s, I went, I, I, I was just starting to get, you know, jobs and careers and things off the ground that had nothing to do with D&D, but I would take my summers off and go down to Lake Geneva, Wisconsin, where TSR, the company that made Dungeons & Dragons, was based, and I would just hang out there and (laughs) and offer to do, like, just crap jobs. Like, I will sift through that stack of envelope submissions, you know, and clear desks, basically. Uh, So, and I look back on that kid and I thought, man, that was super smart. Yeah. Uh, you're getting to know the people who are making the game. You're not being a, you know, a jerk. You're being helpful, and you're you're looking. You're 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 reading. You're helping the magazine editors look at the submissions of other people. You're you're my rivals essentially, 
and seeing what everybody else is turning over. And that was hugely, that was a huge learning experience for me. Seeing how they actually ran their company, seeing the kinds of stuff that they were getting from other people in the outside world, and kind of just networking, you know, networking before there, were, there was an internet. Oh, I love that. Yeah. That's fantastic. So you were just kind of coming up with your own, you weren't following some predetermined path. No. You were making it up. Yeah, I was just making it up and, and trying not to alienate anybody along the way. Um, I was, you know, just be polite, be professional, always turn stuff over on time. Um, if they ask you to change it, you just change it. You know, don't, uh, you know, don't be, don't be so precious about your own work. Like, these are all lessons I learned very, very early on. And I think that's what got me where I am today, is, is just that ability or, or willingness as a kid to just doggedly try, you know, I had no idea that would work. Have you ever been drawn to the... Um the idea of creating something like what you're doing, but without the interactivity, like a fantasy series, being a proper author. Is like that... a novelist or something like yes, that. Yes, yeah. like that. <laughs> um, honestly, I have never been bitten by the novel writing bug or anything like that. That's not to say I've, I haven't done anything creatively outside of the D&D milieu. Um, I've, I've like written screenplays, but they weren't with any... Because I'm so kind of cemented in D&D, and I love D&D, and I love what I do, I've never felt like I had to do anything else or, or find another career. So all of those endeavors for me were purely creative exercises. I've never written a screenplay before. I wonder how hard it is. I'm going to try. You know, I'm going to do it again. Because the first one, I didn't, you know, it was a doomed exercise, or the idea didn't have really any merit. Um, I found that I liked the structure of it. In many ways, screenwriting um, is as structured as adventure writing for D&D. It's just a different kind of imposed structure. But I liked it because the structure was there and there's some playroom uh, there. And how, how far, you know, what can I do within the constraints of a screenplay format that's maybe never been done before? Okay, that was fun. And now I'm back to doing D&D stuff. It's, but uh, like a, a, for some reason, I don't know why... Um, I've never felt the need to write a graphic novel, or I've never felt the need to work on a novel. Um, I don't know why that is. I've written things as long as novels. Sure. Um, I mean, Waterdeep, it's any number of novels. Yeah, the, Dragon uh, yeah the project I just turned over is as long as any novel. I think, for me, a novel is, a, is not a social experience, it's a private one. Mm -hmm. The writer's having a private experience in writing it, and then the reader is having a private experience reading it. I've just grown to like the idea of writing somebody something that can be shared and something that can be personalized. Nobody personalizes a novel. They just sort of experience it as sort of this from a detached third-person point of view. But you pick up one, a D&D adventure, and you make it your own. Mm -hmm. um, I like creating stuff that inspires people to make more stuff. That's so cool. Yeah. So you've been doing this clearly for a long time. and um, Too long. <laughs> Probably. God, it's funny that you say that. I'm about to make another record, and I keep thinking, is that enough? I mean, right. how, many, how many do yeah, you need? Right, yeah. <laughs> I, uh, I keep track of the, the work that I do. Uh -huh. um, I didn't at first, but I realized I was doing so much of it. I should probably 
I'll come to an age where I'll regret not having done it. Um, so I started to keep a personal bibliography. And it's like 19 single-spaced pages of just books and things that I've worked on over the years. It's gotten so vast that I've often asked myself, at what point do I say, I think I've done it all? <laughs> or maybe I should just drop this and, and, and test myself in some other arena. Uh, I don't know. I feel like what you're doing, though, is so open-ended. I yes. mean, you're world-building. Yes. That's fantastic. Yeah. And there's no limit to how many worlds you can build, right? I mean, no. everybody who works at, on D&D uh, is a person who is literally a bottomless well of ideas. And I don't feel like you could ever really hit the bottom. Mm -hmm. um, every story that we release is different from the one that came before it, and, we'll, and the next one will be different from that one. Um, the power of storytelling is so great. Uh, as, as, long as, as long as you're in a working environment where you're encouraged to be creative, there's nothing stopping you from, certainly nothing stopping me from, from being that way. So I've, I've already got you know, 50 other things I want to do, just D&D product related. Yeah. Um, somebody's going to have to make me stop. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's just the way it's going to be. Well, I hope they don't. And even when I, even when I retire, um, I'm still going to be creating stuff for my campaign or just to throw it out there. I think it's, I think it's, it's so, it's a good way for me to spend my time I, I'd almost not want to spend my time doing anything else. As long as that's true, I won't spend my time doing anything else. Um, so finally, if you were to go back in time... Oh, actually, that's not true. If you were to right now meet a 21-year-old version of yourself working in today's world, yeah, starting out, what advice would you give yourself? I would give myself the following advice. I'd say, don't throw out anything you've done. There's a lot of stuff that I did back then that I wish I still had. If only to give me some perspective. But also, um, it'd be worth a crap ton on eBay. <laughs> <laughs> like, don't throw out those early dungeon maps that you created. Don't throw out those binders of, you know, just raw world-building content and stuff you created. I regret that. I regret that sat... Not just, not just for nostalgia, but I think there's actually something to be learned um, by going... I'd love to be able to go back and look at the stuff I created then. Um, uh, I mean, we live in such a Marie Kondo world where everybody's trying to flush yes. everything out of all... Yes. And you don't think... I didn't think back then that any of that stuff had any value. Yeah. Like, I wouldn't need it. Nobody would care to see it. Um, but you just never know. Um, and I'm, I'm sad that I can't, I can't ever recover that stuff. That, that is like, it, it feels like lost treasure, you know, um, something it's like taking a piece of like a painting and setting it on fire. Mm. No one will ever see it again and I'll never see it again. Um, and that's kind of sad. Things should be, things that are created should last and ideally, last beyond us. Yeah. Because that's where immortality lies, right? It's not, you, you will never be immortal, but what you create can be. I love that. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to sit down with me. Oh, no, this is great. Thank you. 
I feel like I could talk to you all day long, but I know that I could, I could talk about D and D all day long. It's true, and yeah, I've and I've I've been around long enough in the business that I've I've seen lots. So maybe 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 after I've retired, maybe I will get bitten and write a book about, about life here at Wizards. The memoir, yes, the tell-all, yes, the the tell-all book. I can't Chris wait. Chris Perkins is twenty plus, thirty plus years. <laughs> Uh, in in this glorious garage band hobby of TRPGs. Well, thank you so much, Chris. Thank you. All right. Thank you so much for listening to Wheels Off. Please be sure to rate and review the show on iTunes. That helps us appear higher in the search results and lets other folks know that it's a cool podcast to listen to. Also, As the kids say, don't forget to subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, or anywhere else that you listen to shows like this so that you never miss an episode. This has been Wheels Off, and I'm Rhett Miller, encouraging you to create every day. Thanks, y'all. Hey friends, my name is Zach Lupiton. You may know me from the band Dust Bowl Revival, but I also host a music discovery podcast called The Show on the Road. For the last five seasons, I've been able to dive deep and have intimate chats with folks like the Lumineers, Andy DeFranco, Wolfpack, Keb Moe, Lake Street Dive, Bela Fleck, and more. So guess what? After 150 conversations with some of my favorite songwriters from around the world, we are bringing brand new episodes to the Osiris Network. New interviews and intimate acoustic performances will be coming at you this summer. And which episodes are coming next, you ask? I am Zach Goody, the lead singer for the band Smash Mouth. Our band is called Milky Chance. We are based in Berlin. My name is David Shaw. I sing and write songs with my band, The Revivalists. Trust me, these conversations go some wild places. So subscribe to the show on the road on Osiris, and we'll see you soon. Again.